This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Thanks for joining us for Episode 64 of the Recorded Future podcast. Our guest today is Storm Swensbo. He's an analyst services manager at Recorded Future, leading a team of intelligence analysts providing on-demand reports for their customers. In our conversation, he explains the different types of reports his team provides, and we focus on finished intelligence, where it fits in an organization's threat intelligence strategy, how it can be customized for specific audiences, and how they make sure a report doesn't quickly become out of date the moment it's published. Stay with us. walk through three different types of intelligence. Now, there's a variety of different ways within the industry that people sort of delineate that. Um, so I'll, I'll walk us through two different ways of looking at that. Probably the first and the most common one is you know, finished intel just being a, uh, a finalized product that can get pushed out one way or another. So something that has gone through peer review, there's bits of sourcing associated with it, um, and then you know we've published it. Um, further out there. But then there's also a little bit more of an in-depth way of uh, looking into it. Um, That is within delineations of how finished a product might be. Um, And the way that uh, that's kind of done is, you know, you've got uh, three different types of intelligence, uh, very broadly speaking. There is flash reporting, um, there is current intelligence, and then there's finished intelligence. Now, the first one we've got there is flash reporting. And as the name suggests, it's supposed to be a very quick report. Um, you know, on my team, we do these in about 24 to 48 hours. Um, and these reports are designed not necessarily to be as thorough, but to take a number of sources, conduct analysis on them, and then push them out. So in a flash report, we don't necessarily have the time because of you know, the severity of the issue to actually go through double, triple source things, to assign confidence levels to everything. Um, but it is something that you know, with a low confidence, we want to provide an assessment to you know, a partner or a customer. So we'll put together a very quick flash report um, and send that off to somebody. Now, the next step up is a current Intel piece. Now, this has got a slightly higher confidence level. Um, Normally, these take a couple of weeks or so to produce. Um, In certain government agencies, these might even take a couple of months. Um, But one of these reports is going to be something more along the lines of a report that is going to be a lot more in-depth, like an actor profile or a tool profile, where... You know, the analyst can actually go in and say, all right, I've gone through the primary sources for this. I've you know, verified them. I've got confidence levels assessed or assigned to them. And we can you know, go through, look at that. There's second tier, third tier sources. It has been reviewed by a peer. It has been reviewed by senior level manager and possibly an editor as well. And then it's been produced. Um, and the confidence that is associated with a report like this is generally going to be a lot higher. Then going into the last one, which is finished intelligence, which is where a lot of the stuff that we publish on our blog sort of ends up, where a analyst goes out, uh, makes assessments, finds sources to support those or you know, to challenge those assessments, um, runs through all of that data, runs through those sources, compares and contrasts the confidence that's behind it, um, and then poses that out to the company, uh, submits the draft document, and literally about half of the company has access to that when it's in its draft form. And tons of people will go in there, uh, provide comments, feedback, 
uh, challenge things that are within it. And then, so because of that, the assessments that come out are generally at a higher confidence level, or at least the even in the confidence assessment language itself, will be a little bit more definitive um, in the way that we talk about those items. So those are the different types of, of ways you can look at finished intelligence. Now, when we're talking about finished intelligence, I mean, are, are there various types of reports that are generated? What's the variety within that category? Um, so within that category, you can go into a variety of different things. So um, as I mentioned, there are things like actor profiles or tool profiles where you're trying to make assessments in regards to, all right, what, who is this actor? What's their background? What's their history look like? What attack methods do they use? You know, what's their history on their forums? Do they have a good reputation where they're um, operating it? And then going, uh, taking that one step further, and then looking at the threat assessment of that is how much of a risk does this pose to our company or to our customers? Does he pose some sort of change within trends? Is he you know, developing something new that might affect other things? So, yeah, that's an actor profile for a tool profile. We would like we would go through, take apart a you know, piece of malware, at least detonate it in a sandbox, uh, possibly do some reverse engineering on it, um, and you know pull out the IOCs that are associated with it, see what actors are involved in using it, what its you know, general use case looks like out in the wild, and then pull through that uh, the assess the threat assessment of how much that effect is going to be affecting our customers um, as well as our company itself. That's sort of one tier. Then you can get into um, some more trend analysis. So where do you think trends are going within the next quarter? Now, this can be uh, associated with trends in regards to threats to an industry or trends in regards to within an entire uh, motivational vertical, such as trends within cyber or cybercrime or within cyber espionage. Um, additionally, you could also look at trends within a country. So whether... Uh, you know, certain whether attacks methods being used within a certain country are trending upward or downward, um, and then what that means for your company and your business. And then further on down the road, you can get into full-on focused intelligence reports, where you look at an entire vertical. You look at the threats that are directed towards your company, towards your uh, industry in general. You look at the trends that are associated with that. You pull out are the primary actors and then you you know sort of make an entire threat landscape uh, for things that you as a company have to uh, have to be concerned about um, not just directly against your own company but within peers that are within your group so really I mean comparing and, and contrasting the finished intelligence with the, the flash briefing or the current intelligence there's really a temporal aspect here of uh, I guess both uh, having the time to to be reflective on on what's going on but also to be more forward-looking exactly exactly there's generally a more strategic aspect with some pieces of, of uh, finished intelligence although you can still do that within a flash report or within a current Intel piece. The only difference there is going to be the confidence assessment that you've got alongside it and the amount of work that you can put behind, say, the trend analysis that's associated with it. Um, and even then, still, one of those pieces can still have good assessments. They can be solid. There's no, no ding against the type of analysis that's being done there. It's more the amount of sources and the amount of certainty that you can have behind the analysis. 
So uh, can you give us some uh, some insights into the type of work that your team does? I, I know you can't go into a lot of specifics you know, with uh, the clients that you work with, but can you give us a, a sense of what is your day-to-day like? I'm the manager for the Analyst on Demand uh, team over here at Recorded Future. Our purpose is we are here as kind of an extension of our customers' teams. So uh, customers can come to us and say, hey, we just had this event happen on our network. Um, we are working on mitigating it, but we need a report we can share around with upper management and with other departments on this piece of malware that we found on our network. Can you go to you know write that report up for us? Um, and that might even just be a quick little flash report for them. Um, so we'll we'll write things that are very specific to a customer's needs, um, and then you know deliver that to them within a timely basis. Yeah, while we can't talk too much about uh, the reports in specific, we can talk in more general terms. So on our team, we do a variety of different types of reports. So we will do everything from a flash report all the way up to kind of a finished piece of intel. The delineations we've got on our team is we've got flash reports, which are 48 hours or less, um, current intel pieces, which are more of a deep dive. Um, These will generally take us about 10 days or so to produce. And then we'll have focused intelligence reports, and those are kind of our big uh, finished intel type pieces where we'll spend about a month working on a topic or a project. And normally it's broad scoping. This is a lot of the uh, sort of industry style reports that we put together. When it comes to finished intelligence, uh, I'm thinking of how many of these malware campaigns are ongoing things, and they evolve over time. Um, and it strikes me that a piece of finished intelligence is is a snapshot uh, of a of a given piece of you know of a specific period of time. Um, how do you uh, how do you deal with the fact that things after you publish your report, things may change? Do you do you have addendums? Do, or do reports get updated over time? So that's actually that's a a very good question, and one that throughout my career we've had issues with. Um, because as you mentioned, yeah, like things can go out of date very quickly. You might write a malware report on a tool that you found somewhere, um, and it could technically be out of date as soon as you hit enter and send it to the customer. Um, so one of the ways that we get, we sort of work around that problem here at Recorded Future, and it's very unique to us, partially because of the tool set that we have, is we link everything that we write about uh, to sources within Recorded Future. So, for example, if we've created a search that's designed to sort of track trends across uh, a certain TTP targeting a industry, uh, we will share that within our reports with our customers. That way, a month later, two months later, they can read our baseline report that we've written for them and go click on that link and it will pop up as, okay, here's the most current up-to-date information and they can actually go see that. Our reports end up, because of the recorded future augmentation, being more more of living documents mm. um, than they otherwise would be. How does the work differ when you are creating things for a private sector company versus someone in the public sphere, a government organization, something like that? It generally doesn't change too much at all. Hmm. Um, and the reason for that is... A, a government customer and a private sector customer, they still have the mostly the same needs. Now, if you're talking about doing uh, analysis on, say, an EPT group or working on something that might be classified, then, okay, there's a whole other bag of things that go alongside that. 
Um, but the needs and desires of most customers are generally the same. And that's kind of comes down to the whole needs and desires for a piece of intelligence in general. Um, that being, you know, a piece of intelligence is supposed to, uh, at the end of the day, be something that you can act on in one way or another. Um, and one of the ways that we as a team, um, and this is something that's kind of unique to any on-demand analysis service team, um, there's a specific way that we can kind of go about making sure that we've got the right requirements to make sure these reports are actionable. Um, yeah, in some spheres, you kind of have to sort of guess at what the intel requirements are. But because our customers come to us and say, hey, we have, you know, we want you to write a report on something, um, that sort of first off gives us really good direction is, okay, this report is going to be useful for a customer and they have a desire to act on. We then reach out to a customer and then scope out that report with them. So we try to make sure that what we're writing isn't just a, a report that's getting written on something like you would get uh, within the news or you know, on, a, on a normal website. Um, we want to make sure that a piece of intelligence that we're writing for someone is actually going to be used at the end of the day. Uh, ways we go about doing that is we'll ask questions about who the audience is, what the goal is at the end of this report, um, and then if they have any additional information that they want to share with us. Um, that they might not otherwise be able to share through uh, email communications. Um, so we'll work backwards along that list. So first off is that whole context idea. So you know, a customer says, hey, I want a report on Group X. Okay, cool. We could simply go out there and write a report on Group X, but what we really want to know at the end of the day is why. Was there a reason that this actor came up on their radar, is there a reason that they need to have a report on this? Hmm. Um, when we get onto a phone call with a customer, that normally is one of the first things that comes out. Um, they'll tell us, you know, okay, hey, they saw this actor doing something over here. They're concerned about that. So now we've got a little bit more context. We know that that's an incident specific to that actor that we need to address within the report. Um, helps us guide towards you know, using our time more effectively, but also knowing exactly what matters to the customer. And then going further along that line, we try to figure out what the goal is. So whether it's a strategic goal at the end of the day where they're trying to allocate resources based on threats or whether it's a very tactical and they're just trying to simply mitigate risk from this one event or this one actor. Um, so knowing that helps us also design the report, sort of our end conclusions to you know, cater to answering one of those two questions. And then the last one is, you know, who is this report getting written for, which might sound like a trivial question, but it's extremely important within the world of intelligence report writing. Um, the reason for that is a report that's written for somebody in C-suite is going to be written very differently for a report that's written for a guy in the SOC. Hmm. Uh, up in the C-suite, you're going to be primarily concerned with uh, what are the bottom line implications um, you know, making sure that everything is short and to the point that no time is wasted because somebody in the C-suite is generally not going to read, you know, a 40-page report on something. Um, so making sure that everything that you need to say is right up front and for that customer. And then, you know, giving action items very quickly um, within a report like that. Um, so one of the ways that we do that in all of our reports is we'll have executive summaries at the top um, and we'll have whatever our key assessments or our recommendations are, we'll pop those in bullet points um, right underneath the executive summary. That way, if a executive you know, gets the report and they only have time to read that first page, 
people know everything that they need to know from that entire report. I see. Then on the uh, the flip side of that, you got the the SOC audience, um, and you know guys who are in in the SOC are primarily concerned about okay, what are the indicators that I need to block, um, or what is the behavior that I need to be looking for um, on my machines that might indicate that we've been co- compromised by this piece of malware or by something that this actor is doing. Those reports are going to be a lot more technical, but they're also going to have appendixes that are very easy to use in the SOC world for, okay, here's an indicator of you know, IPs that you should be you know, either monitoring for or blocking right now. Um, or here are a bunch of uh, malware hashes that are associated with this malware campaign or this actor. Um, and then giving, giving them those resources that way, you know, once again, if they don't have much time to do, they can simply flip to the appendix, say, okay, here are all the lists that we need. I'm going to just copy-paste this and throw this into one of my tools to go monitor for this stuff on our network. And then, smack dab in the middle, we've got the basically who are you know, the folks who are our counterparts over on the customer side, uh, which is the other Intel teams. And those guys are very concerned about the stuff that's in the middle. Um, and that would be you know, how we got to those assessments that we're presenting to the C-level executive, how those indicators are actually associated with the malware and with the actors that we're talking about. Out of, you know, let's say, a 10 to 15-page report, the first two pages are, very, are targeted towards the C-suite. The last three or four pages might be targeted towards the SOC. And all the stuff in the middle is to convince the, uh, or to verify to the Intel analysts on the customer side that the assessments that we're making are actually backed up uh, by multiple sources, by you know, different pieces of evidence that we found, um, and that our assessments are actually sound. Now, how does it work internally as you gather this information and, and as these reports are built? I mean, it must be you must be building a huge library of all of these things that you can draw on and build on and, and reference uh, so that there's not a, a lot of duplicated effort going on within the organization? Um, so some of the stuff that we do, if it's not customer sensitive, um, we do try to pump back into the product in this term of uh, analyst notes. So um, some of the shorter uh, sort of summary reports that we do for like, for example, our weekly reports, um, after we've published those to our customers, um, it takes us a little while to pump that stuff into the product. But we'll generally try to put that stuff back in there as historical knowledge. Um, and eventually we'll try to, for some of the non-customer specific reports that we write, we'll try to pump that information back in there as well. On the flip side, on the internal side, um, we keep certain drives available with uh, our reports that are easily searchable. So if somebody, if a new um, report comes up, you know, we generally talk within uh, the various Intel groups that we've got over here. Um, and we make sure that we're, we're working and coordinating with other folks so we're not uh, doubling up on effort. Now, if, from a leadership point of view, with the team that you uh, work with, you have a lot of technology there. You, the tools that you use uh, you know, can, can gather lots of information. You're using artificial intelligence and machine learning. But it strikes me that mm-hmm. at the core of all this, you have analysts who uh, sometimes just get a feeling that maybe something isn't right. How do you provide the uh, the freedom for an analyst to chase after something? To uh, you know, when, when you might not know what the answer is going to be, but somebody comes to you and says, "I've got a funny feeling about this. Can I, you know, is it all right if I take some time and look into this?" 
Yeah, and then while we do primarily use the record future tool and a couple other tools we've got, um, I highly encourage our analysts, especially for anything that, um, and even for our flash reports, um, to go outside of the product and make sure that we're not missing stuff. In the cases that you know the product is missing something, we circle back around afterwards with our collections department um, and we make sure that we're collecting on that. Anytime that there is something that we weren't collecting on um, that's actually relevant to our customers, um, if we find that outside, we make sure we come back and you know, pipe it back in. So for folks who are just getting started with this, maybe they're shopping around trying to decide how threat intelligence is going to fit into their operations, what sort of advice do you have? Um, so first thing is, you know, the folks that are in your SOC should not be tasked with doing threat intelligence on the side. You know, there are some folks that I have met who have the, the skills and capabilities of being both a very good SOC analyst and a very good Intel analyst. Um, but you really don't want to put the stress of both of those on that analyst. Uh, one, it's going to drive them a little bit nuts. Um, and two, if they're doing threat analysis, that means that they're not doing you know, what their primary job is, which is you know, monitoring things on your network, making sure that the front lines are getting defended. Um, so if you want to get into you know, the you know, having threat analysis, um, having you know, providing intelligence within your company, you know, make sure that you've got a couple of dedicated resources for that, or that you're piping that information in from somewhere else. Then on the the side of uh, what are some of the first couple of products you might want to produce, the first couple and ones that will you know help show the value of intelligence within your company are going to be things like weekly summary reports or monthly reports, um, things that you can share around within within your company, either to other department heads or upper management, showing them, here are some of the major events that we think are applicable to our company, and here's some analysis of them over the next week. Here at Recorded Future, we answer that one with the weekly threat landscape product that we produce, um, but we see that a lot of our customers are doing things that are very similar to that, and that's probably one of the, it is a time-intensive product, but it's one of the ones that probably produces the most dividends um, as far as I've seen, as far as, as uh, intelligence products go. Um, other things you should probably look at using your, your newly formed Intel team for are going to be quarterly or monthly assessments as well. Um, looking at the state of not just your, your company and what its threat landscape looks like, but additionally what the threat landscape looks like for your entire industry. The idea for intelligence in this sense is to be looking at it in a predictive and a uh, forward-looking mentality. So you want to be looking at you know, your peers, seeing what's affecting them, because you know, that's the type of stuff that might come and start targeting you next. That preparatory angle is what you're looking for. And really, at the end of the day, the goal of intelligence is to be actionable. And the actions that you want to take at the end of the day should help you reduce risk within your company. Um, as I'm sure most CISOs have realized, it's impossible to stop every single event from ever happening. So really what your job is at the end of the day is to reduce the risk of those events happening. So, you know, when you're tasking your team with writing intelligence pieces, you know, try to guide them towards writing pieces that help you reduce risk in one way or another, or that have action items that will help you reduce risk. Um, and that's probably one of the best ways to sort of get that type of stuff started within your company or within your 
Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Storm Swensbo for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.